Welcome to the Aboisi Wine Buzz podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Clinton Lee. Welcome to another episode of the Aboisi Wine Buzz. Today's guest, he goes back traditionally, what he does, I would say, to the times of Marco Polo. When you have a Westerner, who comes to the East and he seeks new adventures, experiences, and he takes them back and he shares that knowledge, not only the knowledge, but the culture. This gentleman's name means pear tree, originally from Galicia and Portugal. That's where the surname comes from. And it is truly an ideal fruit for its resilience, and for the captivating aura it has. Our guest today has lectured in over 30 universities on a lecturing tour. He's rubbed shoulders with premiers. He has enjoyed meals and conversations with titans of industry and the captains thereof. He is the president and CEO of the Canadian Ecosystem Institute. Welcome, Chris Pereira. Thanks so much, Clinton. It's great to be here to talk with you today. Chris is a very humble man, as you can see by his introduction there. Now, Chris, I know I'd like you to share a little bit about your background and your very strong cultural influence with the East, please. Of course, yeah. So Thanks again, and uh, I guess uh, based on what you just mentioned there, uh, uh, my last name, of course, is uh, Pereira. Uh, uh, my father's side is from Portugal. My, my mother's side is from uh, uh, the UK. Uh, if I go back farther on my mother's side, actually, there is a great-grandfather from uh, Guangzhou, China. <clears throat> and uh, oh. while that, uh, that uh, uh, is tendential to my, my career path, just I, I wasn't a deciding factor, but it is an interesting fact in my background that uh, after several generations, someone in our family decided to move to China and uh, myself, um, and I spent uh, upwards of 15 years uh, uh, in China. Um, and it's been about 20 years that my career has sort of been a, as a bridge between East and West, uh, and I would say North America and Asia Pacific these days. So, um, so I, I went to uh, China to study uh, when I was 19. I, I did my undergraduate there studying Chinese language and literature. Um, along the Yellow River in a in a, a little known town of 10 million people uh, called Zhengzhou. <laughs> and, uh, the, Small uh, by Chinese standards, but exactly, uh, a little dot on the map. <laughs> yeah. But impressive in, in many other countries. Yeah. Please. But it does does boast the largest uh, train and transportation hub in Asia, actually, in uh, Zhengzhou. So it's a major uh, um, hub for the for the rails rail system in China. Uh, but the reason I chose that city is because it's along the Yellow River where the Chinese culture and, and history really began five, five or 6,000 years ago along, along those uh, paths. And every city you, vis you visit in, in Hunan province, uh, which is where Zhengzhou resides, um, mm -hmm. is an uh, ancient capital boasting thousands of years of history. So it's a really great place to have started my journey in China. Now, Chris, um, you were born in Canada, right? I, and as yeah. you mentioned, you, you know, your father has Portuguese roots. But what inspired you to, to take that plunge to say, you know what, I'm going to China 
to study and travel. And you know what the, the deciding factor was? And I've, I've thought about that a lot over the years. It, it was because I was a big reader when I was younger. And yeah. uh, I had a, a bit of a, you could say it's naive or you could say it's a bit of an adventurous spirit, but I, I would say naive more than anything. Just to say, hey, I want to, I, I want to go on an adventure. And uh, my original thought was I'll go on a backpacking trip. That was the quote unquote adventure back at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, I was at York University in Toronto studying uh, English to begin with. Um, and I, the uh, second summer of my studies, I decided to uh, visit Asia, thinking I would go to China first and then uh, heading south, southwest towards uh, Vietnam and potentially Thailand. Uh, but when I got to China, I, I uh, didn't leave, is the short story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know, if, if, you, if the heart tells you that you're comfortable, you're at a place where you want to be, it's very hard to uh, confront the heart. And, you know, the heart and we have the mind. And as you mentioned, you initially intended and really wanted to stay for a short period, but it turned out to be close to 20 years. So what captivated not only your mind, but your heart as well to stay for such a long period? Yeah. You know, over the years for various major decisions or jumps that I've made in my life and career, I've listened to as you mentioned, your heart, I would say there's a uh, intuition or your unconscious sometimes. And uh, Socrates mentioned this uh, thousands of years ago too, just before he drank the hemlock. Uh, they asked him, did he regret not running away or escaping the, the mob that sentenced him to death? And he said, no, I've always listened to my inner voice. Uh, when I've listened to the voice, it's been the right decision. And in that case, back then, his voice had said, don't, don't run away, <clears throat> don't leave. And now here we are, 2,500 years later, still talking about Socrates because well, of that. <laughs> so. I, I think it's the erudite and those that appreciate culture that would speak not only of Socrates, you know, but of, say, Sun Tzu, you know, Aristotle, and other great philosophers around the world. Now, talking about that, I have to bring into, uh, in, in, into our discussion the Canadian Ecosystem Institute. Because Chris, on that website, you know, you talk about you are this bridge. Um, You are the bridge between countries and you are the bridge between people and businesses. And the Chinese, they call overseas Chinese Hua Chao, which literally means the bridge. So um, in in your perspective, how do you see yourself as that bridge? Yeah, no, it's, um, thanks for asking that. Uh, so basically what we do is we, we help in North America, we help Chinese companies or Chinese origin uh, individuals uh, enter the mainstream market, access the mainstream media um, and also social media. So we help people uh, become more local in North America. And we also help uh, Western com- companies in Chinese speaking Asia Pacific. So specifically, um, in addition to import-export, which is sort of what I would say is business and trade 1.0, we like to say that we're, we're bringing, uh, helping North American companies become more local in China and helping Chinese companies really integrate and build stronger connections in North America. And that's, that's good for both uh, regions for many reasons, of course. But, uh, most importantly is social cohesion, cultural cohesion, understanding between cultures. And that's what I really admire about what you're doing also, Clinton, is you help people understand not only 
uh, wine culture, but I'm sure Baidu culture, uh, different different uh, liquors and drinks from around the world. That's sort of the the most tangible cultural connection we can have is food and drink, right? And that, I think what you're doing on the food and food and drink side, I'm doing on the business and media side to to really help people connect at a at a personal level, but at a, at a more meaningful business level too. So we definitely have that connectivity and. Um... Thank you very much for that, Chris. You know, now, because it's so important, this bridge, I mean, even the background you have before you that says bridge between Asia Pacific and North America. Now, initially, when you were there, you know, you, you just finished at University of uh, York in, in, in Toronto. Um, there must have been glaringly huge cultural divides that you encountered. Um, what, what was one that's really memorable for you in the in the early days? Oh, yeah, there, there is so many. I was not a bridge for culture when I first arrived. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I yeah. think you were probably hanging on by your... Uh, so when I first arrived, I, my first meal, just to talk about food for a moment, because I think that's the, the first interaction most people have with different cultures is food. Obviously, when we grow up, we have different types of sushi. We have Chinese food. We have mm -hmm. Korean food. Um, my first meal in China, when I was picked up at the airport by the person who was the driver, he brought me to this um, seafood restaurant and I had a spicy whole fish, the whole fish, including the head, a round fish, uh, just pl plopped on a plate, it seemed to me. Uh, and they gave me chopsticks and the fish wasn't cut at all. So I needed, I was supposed to use these chopsticks to eat this spicy fish while I was 30 hours jet lagged, uh, just got off the plane. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not eating right now. Thank you. It was, that was my first step. Uh, I, I think that whether it's culture shock or um, whatever, but they, for whatever reason, he thought fish was what I needed at that point. <laughs> well, he thought you might have needed that sort of resuscitation of, of energy. And I, I think probably it was in the West that you normally have your fish fillet, you know, mm -hmm. whereas in, in, in China, they, they decide to be more than gracious and give you the head, the tail, the entire body. So that that must have been. Uh... You know, in, in Chinese, uh, yu has two two meanings. Well, more than two meanings, but mm -hmm. the two relevant ones: fish and also abundance. Yes. So there's uh, there's a few idioms that um, you can have sort of a a uh, a pun related to fish to say you can have the abundance. That works in English too. The abundance of the sea, right? When we think yes, of abundance. the abundance of the sea. And, um, you know, certainly at this time coming with the Chinese New Year, there's that sort of very catchy tune, you know, with uh, concerning the fish. Now, yep. you've just mentioned uh, the Chinese idioms. How did you manage to harness your, your skills uh, to, to be able to be so fluent in Chinese? Because it's, it's not a Latin-based or romantic, it's, it's made up of pictograms. Yeah, I think if you want, so language is one type of project or long-term uh, goal that you might want to do in your life. And I think if I were to give anyone advice, if you want to learn Chinese or if you want to do anything um, worthwhile, it takes time and it takes perseverance. And on the days when you wake up and you say, I don't really want to do this today, you still do it. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's basically the key. Um, but just specifically, it was, what, what was I doing every day when I woke up and sort of felt like, watching TV instead of studying, it was memorizing 80 to 100 words every day for a few years. Well, certainly beats the multiplication tables. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I, I sort of look at us uh, and, and I think, well, you know, your father 
has a Portuguese background. My my late mother had a Portuguese background, and um, you know, dad was was late. Dad was from China, and your your father, you know, your mother was you know had also that Chinese influence, and uh, yet we we've 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 taken that interest, and even as an overseas Chinese, to pick up on the language. It's not been easy, and and I I congratulate you for the perseverance of doing that. Now, you know, Chris, when, when, people, um, when people and your colleagues and new, new introductions, they meet you, they really see you, as I did, as a sort of Renaissance person, a colossus that sort of strides between these two very, very different cultures. Have you found this to be to your advantage or perhaps a dead weight that gets heavier with each step? That's a good question. First, just a, a note about language and, and culture. Um, no matter what culture and language, I would say language is 5% of communication and culture is 95%. So if you go to China or if you go to Turkey, you go to Africa, if you understand the expectations of the culture, you don't need to speak the language to succeed in that, in that environment. Of course, speaking the language is helpful, but if you, if you um, mechanically learn the language without understanding the culture, you've wasted your time. I just mentioned that uh, to begin with. And that's the same with, with the wine culture, et cetera, too. If you know how to drink wine and you don't know how to hold the glass, then you're going to, it's sort of a similar situation, right? Yeah. Oh, I, I would echo those sentiments, Chris. You know, um, having traveled to over 100 countries, you know, from Ethiopia, you know, all the way down to Chile, and right across to sort of, you know, to China and, and um, up north, you know, to the UK. Um, you're right. It's, it's your mannerisms, basic elements of politeness, respect, which is what we uh, promote and support uh, on our social media. It's always having that true sense of understanding. And I, we believe that if you understand more, then the chances of cooperation as opposed to conflict becomes more real. Now, that is what you meet face to day to day in a gladiatorial sort of arena. Now, how, how did you find, you know, as meetings go pre-COVID and even I'm assuming after COVID, simple things. How do you greet? Well, what, what was some of your experiences like how Chinese greet one another and, 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 and Caucasians? That's a good, good question. So um, one example of what I was just thinking of when we were talking about language and culture is the greeting um, in China. Uh, have you eaten? <clears throat> have you eaten? Nitrilama, Um Now this came from the period of the Cultural Revolution or during the tougher times in China's uh, past in the 20th century when food was scarce. So it became a regular greeting just to, to show you care about someone. Hey, did you eat anything today? And that became sort of, hey, what's up? How are you in, in Chinese? So if you, to go back to the culture thing, if you just translate this directly to someone in Canada, you say, hey, hey, Clinton, did you eat today? <laughs> it's kind of kind of a strange thing to ask. So, <laughs> so, really? What's, what's that question all about? Absolutely. So that uh, the, the cultural context is important when you're communicating. And um, so if, if uh, someone from China, China came to Canada, of course, we want them to use the more relevant to, hey, um, How's it going? Something sure. like this. Yeah. Um, so that would be uh, one example of uh, cultural communication. Another, another is uh, more discreet or more, more nuanced in business. 
uh, when we're receiving and giving feedback, I think is mm. an important, interesting one to um, which I can share some maybe useful information. Please. Um, in that, in a Western context, um, you might find people more direct and uh, willing to share critical feedback in a meeting, for example. And that meeting might be a client and uh, um, client and service a service uh, meeting. Maybe you're talking to a client and the client gives you direct feedback. Now, even in in uh, in that sort of relationship in China, your client probably won't give you very direct feedback. There's a nuance to, to maintain the harmony in the relationship. Even if both sides dislike each other in a meeting, you'll still on the surface, you'll see this continuity, this unity in the meeting. I think that's a very Eastern concept. Whereas in, in the West, of course, a, sort of a, a cliche, but to say the West is more in, individually focused and the, the East is more um, collectively focused. And of course, that's a huge generalization. There's lots of exceptions. Um, but when you're looking in a meeting in, in the West, you'll see an individual speak up and it might destroy the entire uh, uh, sentiment during the meeting. It might leave everyone feeling terrible at the end, but that person has expressed themselves and now there's an, a remix of, of discussion and at the next meeting, there'll be a reshuffling of, of views, right? Whereas on the Chinese side, um, there will be a, a very subtle expression of disagreement. And under the surface, of course, there is still that ruffling of feathers, but at the meeting, um, it's it's unified, and I think on both sides of that, if you're if you're a Westerner at a Chinese meeting, you you will view that and say, "Holy, um, everyone in China has the same view. <laughs> they're all they're all autonomons. They're all robots towing the party line." But if you uh, after the meeting, if you're party to the or privy to the discussions pre-meeting or post-meeting, you're going to realize that it's actually a, a, a huge um, discussion going on. But not at the surface level like it happens in, in the West. And likewise, if you're a Chinese, um, uh, I guess, I, not even Chinese, if you have grown up in the Chinese culture or Eastern culture, you go to a Western meeting and you see this dis disunity, this uh, chaos or, um, or a protest on the street in, in the United States, you say, this, this, this place is a disaster. There's, there's no harmony here. And both sides view each other as a disaster and unsuccessful. So, um, both sides are relatively stable and doing well in their economies, but both sides view each other as unsuccessful because of a cultural difference. Yeah. Well, I, I, I would agree with you there, um, Chris, because I think that's where people like uh, you and I, um, our skills need to be shared. And if we can educate uh, and let those that perhaps have less experience in these fields to understand. You know, my studies were in uh, cultural diversity and organizational behavior. And you're quite right when you mentioned, you know, the, the Western aspect is, um, you know, it's more nuclear family, you know, after 18 years old. Chris, we've looked after you. You've graduated at university now. Bye-bye. Whereas, um, you know, in, in the Eastern, uh, certainly the Chinese, it's more of an extended family. You know, I recall you know, when I was traveling, oh, we didn't know someone in New York. Well, don't you remember your second aunt's uh, first daughter, their husband has a second cousin in New York? Well, why don't you call them? And, and that's how it, it has sort of extended and, and it's quite different. So, um, you know, uh, I, I remember certain aspects where at, at meetings between, um, you know, the Chinese and, and Western uh, counterparts, 
they would write everything down. As soon as you spoke, everything was written down by, by 10 scribes, as it were, all sitting at the opposite side, and only one person would speak. So that was very different and very culturally different. Now, moving from the boardroom, and then how do you greet with the, with the business card there, Chris? Yeah, of course, I'm sure many of the people in your audience are familiar with the double, I'm not sure if it'll show up, right? I'm, oh, we can do it. A double, uh, double hand uh, yeah. delivery of the card. Holding it like that. Exactly. And, uh, you know, it's become a custom that I actually prefer because when I give my business card um, to someone in Canada and I see them sort of toss it at me, I, I think it's kind of rude too now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to be sort of like that, right? You sort of hand yeah, it over like, like that. Yeah. It's just that take this it's respectful thing I'm giving it yeah. to you. As opposed um, to here, here you are, and then they put it away. Exactly. Yep. Um, and um, of course, some of these customs are evolving as things like uh, WeChat become more more customary. So I think one one thing to to do now instead of give a card is to say, hey, would you like to add on add each other on WeChat? Some of these, which doesn't happen in the West, of course, we don't necessarily say, hey, let's add each other on LinkedIn as soon as we uh, as soon as we meet. True. <coughs> uh -huh. So, you know, moving on from the greeting and the initial discussion, as, as we, we both know that oftentimes the business discussion trans, translates and moves to the, uh, to the dining room and into the restaurant. Yes. And this is where we have some of the, and I'd like to hear from, from your perspective, Chris, you know, um, you've lived in Canada, you started a life in China, You've now come back. You've got the Canadian Ecosystem uh, Institute going. What, what three major cultural differences did you see, you know, happening during these business meetings um, in at the restaurant? You know, from the drinking to the eating, and yeah, there's. I can give um, three major ones to begin mm -hmm. with. The first is uh, in. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll describe these from the from the Chinese perspective for a sure. Western audience. When you're at a restaurant in, in um, Asia Pacific, in China, talking to a potential business partner, uh, yes does not mean yes. And no does not mean no. <laughs> what, what do I mean by that? When, when you make a proposal during a dinner or when, they, when you're talking about what you were discussing at your, your um, afternoon meeting, they say, so what do you think? And they say, it's great. Let's do it. It doesn't mean that it's going to happen. And it goes back to what I mentioned about the har harmony thing that when, when you're asking a direct question like this, any answer that might disrupt the harmony will be smoothed out to be a yes, or a no if it's gonna maintain the harmony. Uh, are you angry? No. Do you like the proposal? Yes. <clears throat> um, all of those will maintain the harmony. So I think um, asking for a, an answer directly like that is something that's sort of a I wouldn't say an amateur move. I don't want to make it sound like it's a bad thing, but um, uh, if you want to push your project forward, you don't ask the direct questions right away. What you do is you build, and this goes into my second suggestion is what do you do? What should you actually do at a, at a meal is build the relationship, build the harmony, show that you're, you're trustworthy enough to maintain that harmony and not poke, poke a hole in, in it uh, by, um, by asking these uh, questions that might disrupt the, the waves on the, on the top of the smooth surface. Um, so that doesn't mean you're, you shouldn't ask about the project, but you can um, use, use questions that aren't yes and no. Um, ask them what, to, what they think about the project, ask their advice, um, 
ask them to share um, their views. What, what do they want to do? <clears throat> and these questions can progress the relationship without, without a, an impasse. There's no fork in the road where you need to say yes or no. <clears throat> and that, that can go a long way. Yeah. So I would say that's part of it. And uh, um, of course, going back to uh, your, your expertise in, in uh, wine and uh, drinks, uh, I would say that um, the final piece of advice I would have for uh, people if they want to do business in China is uh, to have a few drinks <laughs> with your potential business partner. And um, uh, there's no need to uh, drink to excess these days in China. But a, a drink or a toast to to the project and to show that you're willing to uh, be friends with the person in addition to business partners is important because in the the difference or the divide between work and life is not as clear in, in China as it is in, in the West. So when you go home at five o'clock in, in Canada, you might not answer messages from your colleagues, but you might answer messages from your friends. Whereas in, in China, um, there's no differentiation. And I, I seem to have colleagues slash friends messaging me at 11 p.m., 1 a.m. asking me questions about work sometimes. <laughs> I'm like, is this really necessary? But it, uh, that, that's what uh, maintains the relationship sometimes. Yes, there is definitely uh, an emphasis on creating a, a friendship. Then if you're friends, you want to do business as opposed to a rather famous saying in, in the West, uh, nothing personal, it's just business that doesn't exist in, in, in the East. And uh, having, you know, spent a fair amount of time uh, within Asia and doing business there, I, I would echo what, what you've just said. I, I perhaps would like to... Um, you know, when, when where they're campaigning, you know, they're doing the cheers. So a lot of the viewers will actually be able to see the, the actions of what's required in the, um, in the process at dinner uh, on, on our videos. And, you know, I know you haven't mentioned how important it is where the host is, uh, like, like who, who ends off, you know, perhaps you could just share with uh, the viewers you're at a party, your host generally will end the dinner, sometimes abruptly. Um, perhaps you could just share that for a second, a uh, little bit about yeah, that, Chris. Sure. Um, a few things about uh, dinner again. So you're generally going to sit to the round table. Um, the, the host and or the most important person or people should sit facing the door. So if there's one door in the room, the, the host should be directly opposite on the far side looking at the door, that's the important spot. Um, in terms of uh, the uh, eating, um, starting to sort of bon appetit, let's dig in, or let's have our first drink, that's all led by the host in general. Um, so if you're just a guest at a bigger meal, um, it's best not to start, not, you don't wanna be the first person to say cheers. And that's sort of the same in, in North America also. Um, but uh, one other um, thing that I've seen a few people uh, uh, it's not a terrible thing, but it sort of shows that you're not too familiar with the culture is when you're doing your cheers or your chin chin. Um, in North America, of course, the higher you go, the better, right? You want to raise it up to the sky and say cheers. Whereas in, uh, in uh, a Chinese cultural setting, you want to be uh, modest. You want to show that you're uh, respecting the other person. So you actually go low. The lower you go, the better. Sorry, you can't see it too well on a Zoom screen, but you, you want to be lower than everyone else is your goal. So when you see people at a dinner in, in China, you're going to see 10 glasses start at the top and then slowly, gradually almost hit the hit the table as they try to get to the bottom. And uh, that's that's the way to show respect. 
I, I know we've had that experience together at some dinner parties, Chris. So <laughs> yes. uh, where you'd actually see the one hand is here, the one goes lower. No, this goes lower, that goes lower. It's, yep. it's a continual battle, that, that struggle. That's very, very true. And, and, I, and I spent a fair amount of this interview on that, Chris, because, you know, going back, you know, what the Canadian Ecosystem Institute does, you are the bridge. You have soft power in, in terms of your skills and experience. Uh, the core people that you have at the Institute, they, they read, write, speak fluently English and Chinese. And, and that obviously is a clear asset to you. And it's because of that, that you, you sort of uh, maneuver and navigate the clients through the rapids and turmoils of business engagement, uh, which is something that, that we at the Asia Pacific Wine and Spirit Institute are also trying to do. And in many ways, we, we travel the similar path. So, you know, this world is changing. And, you know, you are very fortunate, like many, who live in two cultures, and I believe it pays dividends. What advice would you give to others who are contemplating to go on a journey like yours, catapulting and, and bringing together two cultures within their lives? That's great questions. Yeah, so because you're married to a Chinese, Chris. So even though you, 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 uh, were, you lived in China, there must be sometimes, you know, oh, you don't understand. Yeah, no, there's moments. Culture different. And um, <clears throat> of course, there's, there's going to be many challenges related to this. And just a, one uh, additional point about what we do, we've talked about a lot of different cultural differences today. And I think what, what we do best in business is we, all of these disparate little details about culture, we help our clients, we talk to our clients, what is your hope, to, what do you want to do in this, in this market? We're not, we're not going to China for a cultural sightseeing tour. We're there to make money, right? And vice versa. Um, and we can help have fun doing it at, at the same time. But we achieve the goal by um, knowing what the expectations are for the other party. We, we know in media, in business, in uh, associations across, across uh, China or North America, we, we uh, connect expectations and goals to execution. And we can, the execution side, connects to culture and that's where our expertise is to get things done in another culture. But to go back to your question about um, advice for someone uh, thinking about going to uh, becoming a bridge, I guess, is uh, uh, think about what, I, th I think if you're gonna do something in, in life, you wanna be all in, right? So if you're going to do something like this, it's not a, a, a two month journey. <clears throat> um, I'm not sure if it's 10,000 hours or how, how long, but uh, it's if you're going to do something, be dedicated to it and jump all in. So if you if you are in love with the German culture and Canadian culture, move to Germany. If you're from Canada, if you're in Germany, come to Canada <laughs> and really learn it. You're not going to learn it part time on the weekends reading a book. In other words, you got to jump in. So you really have to go in. And, and, and what what you said, we are here. You know, on our side, yes, we are wine and spirit, but it is those those aspects that that lubricate the wheels of commerce. You know, you are the ones that that help the clients don't step on on a potentially explosive situation, avoid it. And, I'll give you one more example, if that's yeah. uh, Clinton, is for in terms of uh, sort of lubricating business or um, getting thing achieving success. So again, at the dinner table, um, so when you do 
business with someone, half the battle is trust. More probably, maybe even 90% of the battle is trust. Do I trust this person to, if I give them this money, will they do what they promise they're going to do? Or if I do, if, if, uh, if I do what I promise, will they give me money? <clears throat> uh, and how do you achieve that? That's by, by the other person uh, seeing that they do what you expect them to do. There's expectations in culture. So culture is actually all about expectations. In, in every uh, scenario, there's things you're supposed to do that show that you're a capable and smart and reliable person. So to give that some a, a specific example at the dinner table, if you want to show that you, you respect and care about the person next to you, uh, I've seen a very specific case where this failed. <clears throat> so mm -hmm. um, a Chinese business partner of mine, when it was sitting next to a Canadian, at a dinner table and he wanted to show that he was caring about this person. So he took his chopsticks, he got some food off the table and put it onto the Canadian's plate. <clears throat> and he personally, he's feeling, well, this is good. This is what we do in China. I wanna show yeah. that I care about you, I'm helping you. Now from the Canadian's perspective, he saw uh, someone was using chopsticks to help him get food and he felt disrespected. And in, in his heart, he, he told me afterwards, uh, I felt like I was being treated like a kid. <clears throat> I can get my own food. So the same action, completely different uh, expectations for what or understanding of what that action means. So in a, um, you could you can blame both sides for this. They're both supposed to be knowing the other's culture in a business setting, right? The Chinese side should know that hey, maybe maybe we should respect him by giving him the the freedom to get his own food. We're going to respect. We know you can use your chopsticks, so go use them. We're not going to interrupt your meal. <clears throat> Uh, whereas on the Canadian side, he should also have known, hey, uh, he's giving you this food because he respects you. If he didn't respect you, he wouldn't put this food on your plate. <clears throat> so I think if you extend that, that to every business interaction, it's very important. When you, when you feel disrespected in a cross-cultural setting, the first question on your mind should be, is this truly a disrespectful act in the other person's uh, mind? And if the answer is no, then you need to grow and and except some of the other culture. Beautiful example. Thank you for sharing that one, Chris. And we've got uh, something out at Wazi coming out. It's, 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 it's a similar program around Chinese and Canadian culture. We call it uh, Crouching uh, Dragon and Hidden Grizzly. So um, that'll be coming out very okay. soon. Now, you know, Chris, you, um, you've shared with us some of your experiences, and I know you are a man of fine taste. What's your favorite wine and why? Well, of course, I'm quite partial to your winery. Well. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm, I don't think I can, I'm not a, I wouldn't say I'm a particularly well-versed well in wine per se, but I do like uh, red wine. And I would say the types of wine that are on my table quite often are, are full-bodied red wine, dry. Um, and uh, because I'm in uh, British Columbia right now, I would say Mission Hill is a is a top choice uh, for me, but uh, I'm not a uh, like I said I'm not in in the uh, expert category as you are for this. So I'm I'm usually in your hands choosing the the fine wines of the world. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Now, do you normally eat more Western food or Asian food, Chinese food? I'm a mix, actually. To be honest, it, it depends. Uh, if um, <clears throat> if I'm traveling through China, I often have a craving for Western food. And if I'm in Canada, I have a craving for Chinese food. It's kind of a contradictory situation. <laughs> Human beings are like that, are we not? 
And but you do live in Richmond, BC, which has some of the best Chinese restaurants in the world. Yes, yeah, exactly. I think uh, we're very lucky here in uh, the Lower Mainland in in uh, in Richmond that we have uh, options from all around the world. And I've heard some people say, even uh, Chinese residents here, that the Chinese food here is even better than China. Oh, I, I I can attest to that. We have some superb, superb restaurants here. Now, Chris, how would you like others to see you in five years' time? So I, I can share a bit of our, our plans. Um, so Canadian Ecosystem Institute is, of course, can, Canada-based. Um, we haven't announced it yet, but I can share some information here that we do have a North American Ecosystem Institute um, on the verge of a, a release. So um, above Canadian Ecosystem Institute, there's a parent company, North American Ecosystem Institute, and that's a true bridge between North America and Asia Pacific. So this year, we, uh, we've actually just opened an office in, in New York. Congratulations. And, uh, thank you. And um, what, what we've done in Canada the last uh, um, almost two years now is uh, has been quite successful, and we're going to replicate that in the U.S. Um, this coming year and uh, build build more bridges between uh, East and West. So that's uh, um, that's in the two to three year range. In in the five year range, we depending on when when COVID ends, um, I'm going to be spending some time in Shenzhen, China, and and Hong Kong also to to build our uh, connections further on that side also once once we have our base built in the U.S. <clears throat> yeah. That's superb. That's wonderful news. So on a sort of penultimate question for, for you, um, Chris, um, on a scale of one to 10, how important would you say it is to try and understand and at least learn and appreciate the other party's culture, whether it's on a social scale or business? at least to try on one to 10, 10 being the highest and one being the lowest? I, I would say 10. And uh, to explain that, first of all, what is culture? If you dig into culture deep enough, as you know, culture is a very difficult thing to nail down. Is, is culture across China? Well, no, there's different cultures in different regions. So, okay, in yes. this region, does this region have a specific culture? Well, no, this, this city speaks a slightly different dialect than this. Well, okay, this, this district in this city, um, do they have the same culture? No. So what does culture actually mean? It means your ability to communicate properly with uh, other people. So between you and me, as we speak, we also have uh, different cultures. And I'm trying to know from my best ability to meet your expectations and vice versa. Um, so if, if you look at it from that perspective, you, um, you should not, you shouldn't um, give up or compromise your own values or your own quote unquote culture, <clears throat> but uh, you should try, if you want to be a successful communicator and business person, you should always think about the expectations from the other party. Absolutely. And, and finally, uh, Chris, what advice would you give to a 22 year old version of yourself with the wisdom you now have? Oh, that, that's gonna be a long list. <laughs> Uh, I would I would give the advice I gave a little earlier to say that if you're going to do something go all the, go go all in if you're going to try go all the way to, to quote uh, Bukowski. <laughs> hey, you know, ladies and gentlemen, those of you that have been watching this interview, knowing Chris as I do and the Canadian Ecosystem Institute, Chris does not only just straddle he exemplifies and he 
is very generous with his knowledge and time. So if you're thinking of wanting someone who has that expertise, not only in language, but culture, soft power and connections, then I would say to you, you must go to the Canadian Ecosystem Institute because that is the embodiment of all the cultural aspects that we at the Asia Pacific Wide and Spirit Institute put together. As they would say in North America, this is where the rubber hits the road. Thank you very much, Chris. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Clinton. I really enjoyed the conversation and keep up the great work with Apwazi. You've been listening to Wine Buzz Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave a review or share it with a friend. Apwazi is an online wine and spirit institution dedicated to promoting culture and diversity through the world of education. If you're looking to get started, we have a free online course that we are giving out to all our listeners. For more information, head to apwazi.com. That's A-P-W-A-S-I dot com.